Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. That was then. This is now. Design your own next chapter. Today's guest may well challenge you to design your own next chapter in ways you never imagined. Whoever you were, whoever you think you are, Dave Albin inspires people to truly step from the frying pan onto the fire and find their very best selves. He says, what doesn't challenge you does not change you. His enthusiasm is contagious, both for his art and for life. It wasn't always that way. So I'm going to suggest that if he can do it, we can all do it. Listen now. I'm not sure how to introduce my guest today. Dave, he's laughing already. Dave was born in 1954. That makes us pretty much twins. Adopted by his aunt and uncle on his mother's side at the age of five, they told him they weren't his parents at the age of 11. Later that year, both his adoptive parents started drinking, and this is where Dave's life took a hard turn. He tried alcohol at the age of 11. By the time he was 14, he was experimenting with hard drugs. That was then, and this is now. His present is awe-inspiring, so I'm going to put him on the spot to convince me I could, should, participate if our paths meet in real life. His client list is pretty impressive, but unless he can convince me otherwise, I can't imagine being one of them. (laughs) You've probably seen something similar to Dave's events on TVs. Maybe you've seen Dave's events on TV, in a movie, made public, made, made in... Ooh, maybe in public. Perhaps you've even participated. Curious? Dave Albin, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Thanks, Angus. That was a mouthful. How'd you get through all (laughs) that? (laughs) Some some days are worse than today. (laughs) Okay. Your company is Firewalk Productions. Yeah. Firewalking is a thousand year old rite of passage ritual. I heard in one of your videos, you actually said 2000 year old rite of passage ritual. Mm, We need to correct that. It's, it's over a thousand years old that I know in my, in my, in my research. You've fireworked. I am having (laughs) problems today and I even put the right glasses on. Yes, you did. You've firewalked hundreds of thousands of people. Explain firewalking, please. Well, I mean, the act itself is, you know, you, you, you build a big fire and you use hardwood that's seasoned and uh, you let it burn for hours and hours and hours and it renders. And uh, depending on the size of the group that I'm walking, right, if I'm doing a backyard firewalk here at my cabin up in the Appalachian Mountains, I've got a pit and, you know, and you put some wood out there and you let it burn for a few hours. And then uh, typically, whether it's a small group or a big group, what you do is you take sod, you take grass, right? It's about three feet wide, maybe 15, 18 feet long. And then once those coals render after burning for hours, you just take a shovel and you go in there and you sprinkle, sprinkle them on top of that grass, beat them down a little bit. One, two, three, ready, go. So that's the act. Now, there's a lot of different ways that it's been done over that thousand years. If you look at the Fahitians, if you look at the people of India, you know, you there, it's no joke with them. There's no ha ha Latin. No, no, they're real serious. This is a rite of passage. This is graduations. This is the, the, you know, a newborn, a birth. In fact, I got a picture on my website where they actually kind of dug a pit 
and um and and so it's probably 15 feet wide 35 feet long 30 yeah at least 35 feet long and standing around the edge are all these people and they look like family members to me and or whoever and they're dressed in beautiful pastel colors are absolutely gorgeous and then right down in the middle of this pit now i sprinkle coals on grass that's what you walk on this is a pit that means the coals are this thick and if, if people that are listening i'm holding my hands here it's four or five inches thick and there's this young girl, I'm guessing, in her teens. And uh, she's got what looks like a flower in her mouth. And she's holding two newborns. And she's in the middle of that pit. And she can't get out. There's no way. Once you're in that middle, you've got to walk out. Um, you drop a child in a pit like that, you'll lose the child. It'll be third-degree burns if it sets there for a you know, long period of time. So when you look at firewalking from that perspective, it changes the whole dynamic. And there's other cultures that do it the same way. People in Portugal, the, the Spaniards, the Polynesians, the Hawaiians, the Indo-Europeans. The Indo-Europeans actually did it before the men would go into battle. Every night before, they would do their firewalk. And that was the cohesiveness of the team to bring everything together. And, you know, so in the West, it's Tony Robbins, obviously, right? Tony brought firewalking to the West many, many years ago uh, by, by way of another individual that actually trained him. And uh, once Tony got the training, uh, he brought it into a seminar because he looked at it and said, I don't think there's anything else I can do to change someone's life more grand than that. Because to me, it looks like it's without a shadow of a doubt, the most life changing experience any human can go through. And I would agree with it because, you know, again, yeah, I've walked to half a million people. I know what it looks like to look at somebody's face, scared to death, amp apprehension, and just focusing. And that lane is bright red. And then all of a sudden, you know, four seconds later, they're jumping up and down and act. They're this, you know, it, it's extraordinary. They're just screaming and yelling and celebrating, unlike anything I've ever seen. So after you see that, you know, tens of thousands of time, you don't have to, you don't have to think about it anymore. It's just a reality. It is what it is. So you, you said earlier, why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you? And I'll tell you why, because fear is kicking your butt because fear determines every, everything you do, every decision you make is pretty much influenced by fear, right? So it's either face everything and rise or forget everything and run. I know at least it was for me up until my fire, my first firewalk, every, almost everything I did was based on fear, whether I asked the girl to dance or whether I didn't or whatever, it was all fear, 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 fear. So when I got to my first Tony Robbins seminar back in 1995, it had come via that first drink that I took when I was 11 years old and which escalated into hard drugs which escalated into bad peer group and hanging with bad people and, and waking up one morning grossly addicted to heroin, cocaine, and alcohol. So at that point, you hit thresholds. It's like, okay, what are you going to do today? Because I'm not doing this anymore. I can't. I'm just too much physical pain. It's too much emotional pain. What are you going to do? So I was married to a woman, my third wife, had three kids. I loved those kids. though They were my stepkids, but I loved them. And when I woke up that morning, I was like, I'm out, I'm done. We're going to, I'm going to put a bullet in my head. The pain's going to stop. 
And it was in a moment of compassion where I went, whoa, 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 wait a minute, dude. You can't do that. You put a bullet in your head. Yeah, maybe your troubles are over, but you're going to destroy those three kids' lives. I didn't even know what PTSD was. But I do know that the paramedics would be coming in the morgue and the police department and everything else. And those kids would have had to deal with the brunt of that. And so my, my, my comment to myself at that moment was, find another way, pal. Okay? You've got to do something else. And so the thought I had was, Angus, it was call Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know what's interesting about that moment is I didn't even know who AA was. I had no idea. I'd never been to AA, didn't know anybody in AA. And yet there's the thought, call Alcoholics Anonymous. Where'd that come from? So I did. And I got this beautiful soul on the phone and I've nicknamed her Madge. And the reason I did is because she talked like this, right? She 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 probably smoked two packs of not palm all non-filters a day. She had a really crusty voice. And I'll tell you what, she was a badass. She was a gatekeeper. That was was her job her job was to interview you talk to you and see what action she was going to take and if she thought you needed it and you do what you were supposed to do she'd have somebody come pick you up and so she had to do her job well i must have passed the test because she sent a man to come pick me up and so that was on june 8 1988 one day four meetings right and and after our after our, you know during that meeting they gave me one of these they gave me a little chip here that said 24 hours and on the back, it said, to thy own self be true. And that turned in, one day turned into two, turned into a week, uh, turned into a month, got another chip, two months, got another one, three months, got another chip, four, six months, got another chip, nine months, got a chip, and then one year. And then you get one every year that you stay sober thereafter. So here in 2023, I just picked up one for 35 years. Well, here's what happened. During my recovery, I'm learning about the steps and the traditions and how to get my life back in order and how to make amends with people and really just how to clean things up. Well, I had insomnia because I was up late at night all the time. And so there I was one night early on, 1988, there he is, Mr. Enthusiasm. <laughs> you know, a young, vibrant Tony Robbins was selling his program, Personal Power. And you know what, Angus, I couldn't stand him. I thought, what an ass. <laughs> he's all motivated and, you know, he's real encouraging. And, and, but I'll tell you what, he said a couple of things got me. The one thing he said was, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I went, what? That's why I drank and used drugs. I was either trying to get some pleasure or I was running from pain. So he nailed me. And then the other thing he said that got me was, the way we make decisions, what influences us is we're motivated out of inspiration or desperation. <laughs> I went, well, okay, Tony, I'm pretty desperate. Maybe I should listen to what this guy's got to, got to teach me. So I bought his program, came in this big old box, and uh, it was a 30-day program. And it came on these little white things called cassette tapes. Now, I know many of your viewers and listeners are going to have no clue what the heck that one of those are, right? That's how we did. That's how we passed around information back in the day. Eight track tapes. This is the real boomer, real boomer woman's podcast. We all still have some. <laughs> They're going, are you kidding, Dave? I was listening to a cassette tape this morning. Uh, beautiful. I love it. So anyway, there it was. And uh, what happened there is one of my buddies in AA. And unfortunately, I just lost my buddy Dan here about two weeks ago. 
I loaned him the program. He's like, dude, what's going on with you? You're real motivated. You're all inspiring. What are you doing? I said, well, I've been listening to this guy named Tony Robbins. And he goes, hey, I know who Tony is. I bought his book. He goes, but, but I never read it. <laughs> and I said, how classic, right? I said, well, look, man, I'll loan you this program, but you got to promise me you'll go through it. He said, I promise. So he did. Well, heck, seven years later, guess who calls me on the phone? It's Dan. Hey, man, Tony Robbins is coming to town. You're going with me. And he wasn't even asking me. He was like telling me. He's like, you got me into this. You're going with me. We're going to go see this guy. Are you available on such and such a date? I said, yeah. He goes, I'll call you back. Calls me back an hour later. He goes, done. We pick up the tickets at will call. Here's what they told us to do. Drink a lot of water. You need to hydrate. Bring snacks. You're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> which is just an understatement. If I laughing, if anybody's ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar, that's listening, they know why I'm laughing. Uh, they said, bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. I said, Dan, how much is the ticket? I'm going to pay for my own ticket. He said it was $695. This is in 1995. What, what is that worth today? Like at a zero, at a zero. What, I was going to say like 1.3 million or whatever. Right. And so he's getting off the phone. He goes, oh, wait, hey, I forgot to tell you, man, most important part, we're going to be doing a fire walk. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, maybe you are, pal, but I'm sure as hell not. <clears throat> and what's interesting about that, I guess I didn't even know what a fire walk was. I don't know what that means, but fire and walk didn't sound like anything that I wanted to do. And fear again, here it is, forget everything and run. I'm not doing it. Well, the big day comes. We get there. Two o'clock in the afternoon, Tony takes the stage. 10 hours later, I'm in a room for 10 hours with this dude. Remember, bring snacks or you'll starve to death. Uh, Tony goes, it's after midnight, by the way. And Tony goes, take your shoes off. And I went, oh, no. Uh-uh. I see where you're going with that, pal. You're not fooling me. I'm not doing that. Well, here's the problem. I'm in a room with 3,500 people. Guess what they're doing? They're taking their shoes off. So now what am I going to do? Not take my shoes off? Everybody out there, I go out, sees them, I got my shoes. I'm a coward. Nah, we ain't going to do that. So I just cut a deal with myself. Take your shoes off, get out there, and go hide in the back and lose Dan on the way. And that's exactly what I did. Well, it gets a little worse because when he gets everybody going out there, he gets everybody to start chanting. 3,500 people walking out there going, yes, 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 right? Gets worse because when you get out there, out there in this big giant parking lot where they're going to firewalk 3,500 people, he's got African drummers. Dun, 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 dun. It's like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. What a dog and pony show this is. So anyway, I'm holding true to my, to my plan. I'm going to hide in the back. Well, again, Tony knows this is one of the most life changes and experiences any human will go through. And he doesn't want you to not do it. He also knows there's people like me, lots of them. So what's he do? He trains people to come find us. Oh, well, there I am minding my own business. I'm out there in the back. Here comes this guy out of nowhere. To this day, I, just, I don't know who this guy is. Stone. Here's all I know, though. This guy changed my life. Because as he comes at me, he gets close to me, and he looks at me kind of funny, right? Like a dog that hears a funny noise. He goes, hey, man, are you okay? And when we're not okay, what do we do? <clears throat> we lie. I'm fine. I'm good. All good here, pal. Nothing to see here. Move along. Right? Except your voice has gone up. How far? I'm fine. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so on. I'm telling him. 
you know, he, oh, well, then he comes back after that. He goes, well, hey, man, are you going to walk tonight? And I, I said, absolutely not. Like, are you, what do you think I'm hiding in the back for? I didn't say that, but I mean, I'm thinking that. Like, you idiot, what do you, what's wrong with you? And he's like, hey, man, listen, it's cool. No problem. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I thought, okay, well, then this guy's going to get me out of here. No, he's not. He set me up. Because the next question he asked me changed my whole life. He said, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I said, yeah, sure. I'd love to. Now, right in that moment, I got 3,500 people standing in front of me. I can't see anything. Oh, I can hear it. They got a giant fire over here in the corner. It's huge. That pit's probably 70 feet long. It's probably 30 feet wide. They've been building. They threw cords and cords and cords and cords of wood on it. So it renders. So it's this big, giant pile of blue coals. It's gorgeous. Well, how do you walk 3,500 people? You take wheelbarrows over to that big pit. You load those coals in a wheelbarrow. <clears throat> you bring a wheelbarrow in, and you run two lanes of sod on each side, three feet wide, 15, 18 feet long. They call it a fire lane. And as I said, you take that shovel, you sprinkle those coals onto that lane. Boom. That's what you walk on. <clears throat> well, again, I'm in the back. I, I said, wouldn't you like to watch? And I said, sure. He goes, well, listen, man, you can't see anything from here. He said, just get in line. <laughs> <laughs> I took the bait. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I did. I just got in line and I'm kind of trudging through 3,500 people. And, you know, at this point, people are already firewalking. And when they get to the celebration and they're jumping up and down and they're scree screaming, it's exhilaration. The drums are going. People are clapping still and chanting. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I've never experienced anything like it in my life other than a Robin's event. And uh, so I'm kind of walking along, right? And this guy walks up to me and he kind of quietly whispers in my ear. He goes, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And pew, he just disappeared into the night. I'm like, who the hell was that? What was that about? What? What? So I'm kind of walking along. And I finally got to a point where um, I could see it at an angle. Couldn't see in front of me, but I could see it at an angle. And they're doing it. They're walking. Every race, every creed, every color, they're doing it. And I'm like out of my mind. And I'm kind of walking along and walking along and boom, guess the next thing I know, guess where I am? I'm at the front of the line. And now I'm staring down at that fire lane, right? Again, three feet wide, 18 feet long. The coals, Agnes, are bright red. There's no question if they're hot. The wheelbarrow's right there too. You can feel the heat, right? I mean, big time. My heart is beating so hard. I'm pretty sure it's going to jump out of my chest any moment. Well, there's a trainer standing right there and he's looking at me and all of a sudden he goes, eyes up. And I pulled my eyes up like, you idiot. Were you not in a room with 10 hours with Tony Robbins? Did you not listen to anything he taught you? Don't stare at what you fear. Keep your eyes up. So now my eyes are up and he went, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went stronger. And I went, yes. And so he could tell. There was no doubt. I was not in a peak state. I was leaving a lot on the table and he knew it. So he screams at me, stronger. And I threw my hands in the air and I screamed as loud as I could. And he goes, go, go, go. I took off. Remember the guy? He knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. I went. Well, here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. 
when you take the first step, <laughs> oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. I promise you, right? Well, Tony positions two guys at the end, and they stop you. They catch you, and they're like, stop, wipe your feet, celebrate. And I'm celebrating, jumping up and down, and I'm wiping my feet. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. It's just done. I burnt myself really bad. And I look at my foot, and it's dirty, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. Nope, it's dirty too, but there's no burns. And now I'm looking back at those red coals, and I've got to, they kind of move you out of the way so somebody can come behind you. And uh, I'm jumping up and down like a little kid. I had never felt so proud of myself, you know, like my self-belief, my self-confidence, my self-worth. Just it just rised, right? You know, that frequency you just raise with it. And you've done it with 3,500 people. So now it's a collective energy and it's phenomenal. In fact, I'm like, where's the bus? Come on, guys, let's go. Let's go climb Mount Everest. I mean, you know, here we go. And that's how you feel in that moment. And so again, there you go. That's why Tony uses it. Well, here's where it got interesting. Here's why I'm on your podcast tonight is the next day. That event of Tony's is a 40 event. So that was day one, the evening of. Now we're into day two. 3,500 people in the foyer the next morning getting ready to go into the venue. I've never witnessed anything like it in my life. I've never seen people, complete strangers, hanging on each other and loving on each other and connecting with each other and laughing and crying and pouring their emotions, talking about the firewalk, talking about one of the most life-changing things I've ever done. Boom, 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 boom. And so, and again, that, that happens at every event. In fact, he was just in Dallas uh, here a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago. I got invited. I went, same thing, next morning. <laughs> That's what happens. Uh, not one little bit of it's changed. And so I met one of Tony's trainers. And when I met Ted, uh, I was just talking to him and I said, made a comment like, hey, man, this must be awesome to be in this positive environment like this. He goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. He says, I'll tell you what. You see those people standing over there with the black shirts and the red writing on the back? Yeah. He goes, dude, they're volunteers. You want to be part of this? When you go home, call Robin's Research. Tell them you want a volunteer crew application. They'll send you one. And who knows? Maybe you'll get you'll get selected. Well, I, I did it. Nine weeks after that happened, I got a letter in the mail. It said, Dave Alvin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with the Anthony Robbins companies. Well, color my ass happy. Look at me. I'm, I'm the next thing I know, there I am crewing for Tony Robbins. Well, they look at your background. They look at who you are, you know, what your skills are and so on. And because I had a military background, I had a security background. I lived on a farm. I knew how to use a log splitter. I knew how to split wood, you know, I knew tools, all that. Right. They put me on the fire team. They also put me on the security team to help take care of Tony's celebrities. So I crewed like volunteer. Now you pay in your own way, by the way. Right. You're spending $1,500 to $2,000 every time you crew, right? Got to pay your airfare, your hotel, your travel, all that, right? So I did that five or six times, and then they offered me a job as a subcontractor, which I will tell you that my my kid's mother, my wife at the time, was uh, very pleased about. So anyway, uh, you know, she wasn't real thrilled with me spending a couple thousand dollars. Like, who's this Tony Robbins guy? What? Why are you spending all? You know, she didn't know. She had no references. So it was cool when they made me a subcontractor. Guess what they did? They gave me a free ticket. And so I got to take her. And so I took her and she went to the firewalk. And after she graduated, you know, we were walking on the beach. She goes, okay, I get it. I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm good. I'm in. You want to run with this guy? Run with him. Go. 
I support you 100%. So once I became a subcontractor in 96, uh, 97, uh, two, when 2003 rolled around, uh, Tony asked me to take over all of his firewalks globally. So that was a magical moment. Uh, he also paid to have my kids travel with us because I homeschooled. So now here's my family on the road with Tony Robbins, right? Which is some kind of dream. It's almost like a fairy tale. Uh, 2005, Tony and I and the rest of the crew went to London. We went to the Docklands at the Excel Center and we set the world record. We, uh, we firewalked 12,300 people. And then in 2000, uh, 2014, I'll move this forward. I'm driving down the road. My phone rings. Guess who it is? This company called Google? Hi, right, you Dave Albin? Yeah. You the Dave Albin does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? Yeah. We'd like to talk to you about hiring you if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete. <laughs> okay. Well, homeboy's a free agent. What you got? And so the next thing I know, I'm being hired by Google. And that's when the light bulb went off. That's when I realized, not only in talking to Google, uh, they basically told me, they said, you know, you ought to consider starting your own business. There's a huge marketplace in corporate America for you. They're looking for paradigm shift experiences because, you know, they know. They know what doesn't challenge you, doesn't change you. You know, you put a speaker, a great speaker, motivational speaker on stage, but that doesn't mean they're going to change your life. Go outside and walk on fire. You can change your life in four seconds. <laughs> and, th and then right after that, Angus, uh, after I retired from TR's organization, after Google, I went to NASA. And then I went to Notre Dame and then Chick-fil-A and Virginia Tech and Remax and Heineken. And, and okay. you know, now I'm on your podcast. I mean, you just never know, right? So, there you go. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to thank you for, I, you know, I have four pages of notes here and I don't need any of them. You've just been taking care of everything, all the questions. I do need to ask you one thing is when you do the voice of Madge, re, did you ever co-star with Danny DeVito in the movie Throw Mama from the Train? No. I met Danny DeVito, uh, interesting enough, but no, I, I have not seen no, the movie. No, no. His mother's voice is very similar. Oh, she talks like that, does she? <laughs> I love that's, it. Sorry, but she did. Madge and I don't know their name is Madge. I just yeah, affectionately I <laughs> nicknamed her. Yeah, that woman saved my life. I have a great deep love and admiration for her. But she was she was mean, man. She was like screaming at me and yelling at me. And are you sure you want to get sober? Well, I'm not gonna send anybody over to your house if you're not serious. I mean, you know, again, she was the gatekeeper. She had a job to do. Yeah. yeah. Bless her heart. Okay, so what a path. I was, you know, you answered everything. So I was going to ask you how you went from that place of putting a gun to your head to uh, Tony Robbins. And and now you've moved on. You have your own company. I have. That happened in 2014. Now, some of my questions are still the doubting Thomas in me, uh, the doubting Agnes in me. <laughs> Do you need huge insurance policies? No. Okay. Why? Because it's not dangerous. It sounds dangerous. It might even look a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's not. I've walked a half a million people. Guess how many of them had to go to the hospital? Zero. How many of them get, had to be hospitalized? Zero. The worst case scenario is you get a little blister on your foot. You put a little neosporin on it. There's another way that we can show you how to treat it. And the next day, it's probably gone. There's your worst case scenario. Do you know why? You want to talk about some? 
because again, it's you're you're walking. You're not you're not standing. And by the way, I do fire standing in my advanced firewalk training. Okay, so I understand that. The bottom line is that when you put your foot down on that coal, what are you taking away from it? Oxygen. So it can't breathe, right? So it starts to cool immediately. And you're not on it. You're only on it for a split second. And so you boom, 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 boom. And again, can you, can the coals, you know, I get asked all the time. It's kind of a funny question if you think about it. Hey, it's a firewalk. Can I get burned? The coals are a thousand degrees. What's the answer? I, I, I got, uh, I got called to a corporate uh, meeting one time. There, there was a company in Arizona wanted to hire me and they brought me out there and they wanted to put me in front of the, you know, the, the company and the, uh, and so uh, I did. And so I'm sitting in the boardroom and the CEO starts the meeting and he goes, um, all right, guys. Well, as you know, we brought in Dave Albin. He's the firewalk guy. Uh, we have about 350 of our sales and marketing people. And uh, who wants to ask some questions? And the corporate attorney sitting like, you know, four seats away from me goes, I got a question. He must have been Madge's uncle. Um, <laughs> uh, he said, uh, how many of our people are going to get burnt? And I said, well, that's a fair question. Now, I need to ask two questions to properly answer that. Number one, how many of you here in this room have ever taken your family to a beach, to a lake, or to a, a pool and got your family sunburned? How many of you have done that besides all of you? By the way, how many of you have ever taken your kids back or your family back and did it a second time? I got news for you. That's 100 times more dangerous than any firewalk you're going to ever have with me. And, and the CEO, without even breaking rank, man, he just went, he goes, oh, Mr. Albert, he goes, I, I think we probably made a big mistake in bringing you here. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, he turns to a COO who's sitting right there and he goes, look, if this guy's good enough for Google and he's good enough for Tony Robbins, he's good enough for us. Book him. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's really not that dangerous. So the reason people are so exhilarated and so high when they finish is because their brain has still acknowledged the fact that a thousand degrees, you're going to torch your feet off, but right. they get to the end of it unscathed because of pure physics or whatever it's called. Let me, um, let me put a disclaimer in here. Can you get burned? You better believe you can. Could you get hurt really bad? You better believe you can. So you better make Darn sure Damn your sure. facilitator knows what they're doing. Because there's a lot of things that I do that make sure that the firewalk is safe. Don't want you to fall. That's that's a big one. Um, so and I and I here's what I want. My job is to create one of the top 10 experiences of your life. Period. And then when it's all done, you know, we're gonna give you a little container. And it's gonna be going to have the coals from the firewalk. It's going to say, I firewalked in 2023. And, and then, you know, I do a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, part of the firewalk experience, I do the board break experience as well. So it's a martial arts. Most people know how do you break a board. You go into any dojo in America, uh, martial arts studio, they break boards all the time. That's when you graduate, right? You go from one belt to another belt, you do a board break. <clears throat> well, I fancied it up. I take, I have them write something on front of the board they want to move towards. I have them write something on the back of the board that they want to move away from. And then I have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. And then I also, to create the rite of passage, I have them write anybody's name on the board uh, that, well, I'm sorry, they write anybody's name on the board they're in conflict with, right? So a forgiveness or reconciliation is part of that 
that relationship, it ends tonight. Stop carrying around resentment for another human being. That's just stupid. So they write their name on the board. And then again, I have them write somebody's name on the board that they've lost. That creates the rite of passage. Take them outside. We have our board break stations. Boom, they break the board. We walk them in a circle. They fire walk. They come back. And they get to throw their board into the fire. So now it's a double whammy. And then while we're out there, I have a proprietary process that I do after immediately following the firewalk to do two things. Number one, to anchor it in deeply. Um, and then they'll they'll know how if they want to if they want to get that feeling again, we show them exactly how to do it. We anchor it in for them. And then we we calibrate everybody's heart. So we take 200 people, right, of a company, and the next thing you know, right after the firewalk, all their hearts are beating at the same time. Kaboom. And then it's like, good night. <laughs> On your way out, don't forget to pick up your coals. <laughs> and um, and then I'm done. Uh, corporate America, I typically offer a package deal, too. So I, I give them a kind of a two for one. I'm like, look, however you want to do this, we can come in, do the board break and the firewalk. On, on, on your first event, and then I'll come back and work with them again. And we do the glass walk and the arrow break. The arrow breaks where you put an arrow here in your neck, you put it up against the wall, three, two, one, you step through it and you break it. That's scary, <laughs> right? Because there's an illusion. What happens if that arrow pierces my trachea? Well, you're gonna have a bad day <laughs> now. I will tell you that pounds per square inch, it's not going to happen, right? It would take about 125 pounds per square inch to push through your, your, this part of your throat. It takes about 24 pounds per square inch to step through and break it. And then they do the glass walk experience, which is pretty powerful as well. Cause that's pretty scary, you know, cause we've all cut ourselves. So um, we combine those two experiences in two. And then that way I can come in and, you know, facilitate two really powerful back-to-back uh, -back events with typically I like them to book it within a year. That's why I give them the, uh, the package deal. And then that way we can come back and, you know, build off the first event that they can do the glass walk and the arrow break first. And then we come back and do the firewalk board break. However, they want to do it doesn't matter to me, but it just, it just builds off the first event. Now, one question I'm going to ask just because it's been part of your life and it's certainly a part of corporate culture in some areas. You talked about being in Tony Robbins thing for 10 hours. <laughs> if you're in there drinking water, you're probably in fairly decent shape. Corporate getaways are often renowned for their drinking and you do not want people falling down in those colds. Is there right. some way to monitor that people have not been into the alcohol or whatever? Um, we typically with corporations or businesses uh, like I have two big events coming up here in January. One of them is called the EO organization and the EO is the entrepreneurs organization. I've done like a dozen events for these guys and there's, there's a chapters all over the world. And so this just happens to be, uh, you know, this chapter of South Florida. So, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm sitting down with the event team, they, we tell we talk about that. Hey, Dave, we want to do cocktails. We want to do this. I said, fine. Then give them give them a ticket, and they can have one drink in, in an hour. That's it. Then we'll do the fire walk. And then after that, whatever you're going to do, then they can party like rock stars. But one drink. That's it. Um, and then that way we're okay. And they can have that drink, you know, prior to me taking the stage. Once I take the stage, it's going to be an hour and you know twenty minutes, whatever hour and a half. 
by the time I actually take them outside, do the board break and walk them across the fire. So yeah, I tell people, look, that's a liability. So no, no drinking before the fire walk. I, we actually, I have them put it out there to everybody, tell them no drinking within 24 hours of the fire walk. You know, and if you can't do that, well, then you maybe want to talk to me about that problem. <laughs> now, now, do you set these people off? Like, are you, take this in the vein in which it's meant, are you the Tony Robbins where you're there? And are yes. you ready? Are you up? Yes. So yep. if- I walk them all. Now, I have some very incredible trainers uh, that have uh, come to my academy. Uh, I've trained them. I have an, I have a, the Dave Alvin Firewalk Academy. I do it once a year. We just did it in October. The next one's in October, 2024. And they come to me and I teach them how to do all of it. So if they have a company corporation, they want to send somebody from the HR department or a business owner wants to come or an entrepreneur or trainers or coaches or whatever, they can come to the Dave Alvin Firewalk Academy. And then I certify them at the end. Now I do have people that have been working with me for over two decades. So a lot of times they're there and, and, you know, they're, they've walked thousands of people as well. So they know exactly what to do. It's a well-oiled machine. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm exhausted and I'm only the interviewer. <laughs> what haven't we talked about? What haven't you told us, whatever, that you want midlife people in this case, mostly women to think about as they consider their next chapters? Well, again, you know, do the things that are hard in life and life will become easy. Do the things that are easy and life's going to become hard. I get asked all the time about my ritual. What's the first thing I do when I get up? I make my bed. The second thing I do is I go out and I stand for about 10 minutes in, more, in, in, in the morning sunlight. And from my torso up, that, that sunlight is extremely important. Super, incredibly good for you, especially with di- vi- vitamin D. Uh, once I do that, I'm also at the same time while I'm standing there in the sun, uh, in my skivvies, um, I'm doing deep diaphragmic breathing. So I'm doing three sets of 30 breaths and a breath looks something like this. (sighs) 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 So I'm influxing a tremendous amount of oxygen into my body. Why do you do that, Dave? Well, it's pretty obvious. Here's what I know. Disease and sickness, including cancer, cannot survive in an oxygenated environment. How much does it cost to breathe like that, Dave? Nothing. So I'm 70. Guess how many medications I'm on? None. Okay, so yeah, I I know. We've gotten away from this. That's why such a rite of passage. We've got away. You know, the people that walked this planet 100 years ago, they did that. Especially the indigenous people. They were in the morning sunlight all the time. They were exposing themselves to it. The second thing I do is I go over on the other side of my cabin and I do grounding. I put my feet on Mother Earth. And I won't go into grounding and earthing here. It's too much of a long topic. Just go Google it and find out why it's so good for you. You'll, it's pretty obvious. It's scientific. They've run all kinds of studies on it. It's not if it's going to help you. It will help you. And then from then I come in and I do my meditations and I do my my sound therapy and then I go take my shower and I do a really hot shower like most people do and then I live up here in the mountains my the cold water at my house here is 57 degrees <laughs> it's cold so as soon as I do my hot shower I, I turn it off 
I, I set a timer for three minutes. I turn the cold water on and I have it hit me right here in the face. And, and it will literally take your breath away. Literally. It's going to knock your breath right out of you. And so I stand there for three minutes in that cold water. Again, I'm not going to go into the scientific. Uh, I mean, you know, most people know that Olympians and, and athletes do it all the time to help recover with information, inflammation and all that. I do it every day. It's part of my regimen. Do I like it? No. Do I want to do it? No. Do I try to talk myself out of it sometimes? Yes. And that's the point I want to make. You want to live an extraordinary life? Stop negotiating with yourself. So I believe the two most important times in someone's life is the moment they're born and the moment they figure out why. So I know my calling. I know what's going on. And I'll get into something that just happened to me on a podcast. You know, the other thing is I've always heard one of my mentors told me, and I've never forgot this. He said, Dave, just know this. Every human on this planet has two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. Hmm. So I'm on a podcast a couple months ago. And after we finished recording, we were just kind of talking and, and, and Natalia asked me, she said, Dave, have you ever done a firewalk for veterans? And I said, you mean specifically? And she said, yeah. I go, no, I haven't. I go, why? What's going on? She goes, I have 300 vets coming to a gala down in Florida. And she goes, how much do you charge? And I told her, she goes, oh, <laughs> she goes, we can't afford you. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second. What if I did it pro bono? Look, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to ask my team to work for free. You're going to have to pay for the supplies. You have to pay for the permits. You'll have to pay for my team and feed them and put them in an Airbnb and all that. My fee, which is what the most expensive part of the whole process is, I won't charge it. Well, she said she started, she started crying. So that night when I went to bed, I woke up in the middle of the night. And here's the thought that came to me. Operation do no harm. When we were talking, she said, you know, you realize that 22 vets a day are taking their own life. She goes, but that number's not correct because that's only if they leave a note. It's closer to 40 a day. I'm a vet. My father that raised me was a vet. I grew up. All my buddies, many of my buddies are vets. Vietnam, all of it. And so then after thinking about vets, I said, well, you know, there's a couple of other categories here that I could spend the rest of my life, how much time I've got left, supporting all four of these categories. Category one, veterans. Category two, first responders. They also have a high rate of taking their own lives. Single moms and kids that have been bullied. Why single moms? Two months before I was born, my biological father who had hurt himself, they put a plate in his head to save his life, complained all the time that it was the pain was excruciating. Told my mom all the time, I don't know how much longer I can take it. Two months before I'm born, my dad turned to my mom and said, I'm going to the grocery store. We never saw or heard from him again. So when I was born, I was born to a single mom. She already had two boys. I'm the third one. We had another cousin living with us and my grandmother in a living in a one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood, California. Mom came from what I believe the most inc incredible generation that's ever walked the planet. The, the, the generation that came through the Depression. The generation that fought World War II. Because what a lot of people don't take a stop and realize, you know, I, I hate this stuff all the time when they go, you know, well, like women have to prove themselves. So I'm like, are you kidding me? You're out of your mind. 
while the men were off fighting the war in World War II, guess what the women were doing? Everything. So I don't want to hear that crap. They were building tanks and jeeps. My mother was known as Rosie the Riveter. She worked for McDonnell Douglas. She was driving rivets into the wings and building airplanes for the war. So single moms have a really you know, special place in my heart. She was, again, she was working at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood. Great hotel. She was doing good. She had a good job. She couldn't feed six people, though. So when I was five, she went to her oldest sister and said, Pat, Will you and your husband, Bob, adopt David? And they did. So when I hire people, I try to hire a single mom for a lot of reasons. One, because I come from that. Number two, I haven't found anybody that will work harder than a single mom. Nobody knows how to work as hard as a single mom. Right? Because failure is not an option. You know, the girl that does my uh, my website and cleans my house and, and a lot of my administrative stuff, they're all single moms. And uh, I love them and I treat them like they're incredible humans because they are and they got to figure out a way and they get up every day and they got to get up and kill the rabbit. Like I, I like to say, so there's my category. So what does that mean? All right, corporate America, if you're listening, I need your help. You want to put your brand out in front of something absolutely spectacular. You want to save some vets and first responders, some, some kids and some moms come talk to me. I'd love to have you. We need you. And I will add that the women that I know through life and the podcast and everything else, we all know so many people. So sweet. Well, I'll tell you what I'm looking for right now. (laughs) If there's anybody out there that knows how to put a a 501c3, um, you know, so uh, I want to create Operation Do No Harm and I want to create, you know, the foundation around that. And so if there's anybody out there that could uh, come and make that happen for us, I love you forever and a little further. Okay, you're a fast talker. Say that again. 501. A 501c3. It's a foundation so that when people come and they donate money, the corporation can write it off. So you have to be what's called a 501c3. And for any listeners that didn't catch it at the very beginning, Dave is in the U.S. Uh, So He is. Yeah. Of course, I've done events all over the world. I just mean for that particular form, though. It'll be an American form. Yeah, that would be in America. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I believe I've seen on your website and around different things that I was doing my research on, you have a saying that what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. That's right. It's true. Well, you think you, you know, think about it. It's, it's how it works. Yeah. It doesn't challenge you, doesn't change. How do you become a Navy SEAL? Sitting in a classroom? <laughs> I don't think so. You become a Navy SEAL by they taking you out into the into the cold waters off the coast of San Onofre, San Diego, and uh, putting you in there at three o'clock in the morning, pitch black, you can't see anything. And, and the only thing you know is your instructor told you there's nine different types of killer sharks in that water. That builds character. So the comfort zones suck because everything you've ever wanted is right over there, right over there, sitting right over there on the other side of fear in your comfort zone. So you step up. You're here. You're made for greatness. We all are. We're all designed for greatness. And and I'll prove it to anybody. I don't, you know, bring your excuses, bring your crap to me. It's, you're not going to get far with me. You're just not because I'm not going to let you go there. You can tell yourself all that you all want, but I'm not buying into it. You know, when I do my seminars, Angus, I, there's a picture of a guy on the screen behind me, right? And you can pretty much tell where this guy is standing. 
So I'll be talking for 20 minutes and then I'll go to the audience and I'll say, hey, anybody here tell me where my buddy uh, uh, Nick is, is standing here? And they'll say, yeah, Mount Everest. And I'll say, um, well, you're correct. And here's what I want you to know. Uh, that man right there climbed the seven highest mountains on seven continents. You got that? Seven continents, the seven highest mountains, including Everest. He climbed all seven of them. But there's something very interesting about Eric that I want you to, that I want to point out. Anybody here know what it is? They don't know. I'll go. Here's what it is. He's blind. Okay? So shut up. I don't want to hear it. If a blind man can climb the seven highest mountains on earth, what can you do? Because he can ride a mountain bike, too. He can kayak, too. So, you know, I think Viktor Frankl probably left us the greatest bit of evidence about what a human can do if they put their mind to it. Viktor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And if you don't know, he was he was in Auschwitz. And they they assassinated his family. And, you know, they took everything from you. They take everything. You're standing outside in the cold naked. You haven't eaten in four days. And every single day, you don't know whether you're going to go to the chamber that day. You're living with that 24-7, every single day. But, but Victor figured something out. And what he figured out was, there's one thing, you can take my clothes, you can't feed me, you can beat me, you can do all this, but there's one thing you cannot take from me, I have to give it to you. And what is it? My attitude. I've got to give that up. And so he developed that. He said, hmm, that's my ticket. So he developed purpose because he said someone has to tell this story. It's so atrocious. It's beyond anything you could ever imagine. Somebody has to get out of here and tell the story. And that's what got him out. Now, if you're going to read his book, I'm going to, I'm going to warn you. It's not a fun read at all, but man, is it enlightening. So, you know, ladies, step into your greatness. Because, you know, a lot of women don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to get up and tell their story because they did this or they did that or whatever. And I find there's great strength in that. I've got a dear friend of mine, Angela Steelwell. She's made a whole, you know, she's out on tour talking and teaching women how to do all that. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and, you know, she was just brutally, I mean, you know, her mother was killed in front of her. Her dad was a con artist that, you know, they went from hotel to hotel to hotel. I mean, her life was just a train wreck and she took all that stuff and she turned it into a story. She created a story, an empowering story. Cause here's the bottom line. Every single thing that happens to us, I don't care what it is. We create a story, all of it. Now, we get to choose what kind of a story do you want to create? You want to create one that's powerful, that empowers you, and that can help others? Or do you want to create a story that you embellish and it disempowers you? So, again, it doesn't matter what happens to you. Yes, what does matter is how you react to it. What does matter is the story you create around it. And I see that with a lot of women and men, too. Don't get me wrong. I see it a little bit more in women, though. And I love, you know, I, I love, you know, I'll tell you the one, 
experience that I facilitate that gets women a lot is that arrow break. They don't like it. They put that thing in their neck, and as they start to push through it, it pushes back, and it hurts. And if they've ever been attacked or they've had any bad things happen in that regard, I, I don't want to get deep there, but if their neck has had anything to do with it, like they've been grabbed or whatever, oh, that's a scary experience. But let me tell you something. You step through that arrow and you break through that, it is libera liberating. It is phenomenal. So, you know, I, 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 in fact, a couple of years ago, I, I did a big event here right in my own little town. It was called the Women's Empowerment Group. And there were 40 of them. And man, we had a freaking blast. And they did it all, man. They did the firewalk, the board break, the uh, arrow break, um, and, and the glass walk. And then we did a lot of other things as well. It was like a three and a half day event. Yeah. So, I, I had a career in elder care and especially that older generation, your mother, my mother, Right. They mostly felt that the man was the head of the family, so their story didn't matter. But when you Ooh. managed to find that story, when you managed to have them tell some of that story, it was amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Well, because so. I'll be the first to jump to every woman's uh, aid and say, that's absolute, total freaking bullshit. You know, I look the mother that raised me and the one that gave birth to me. You know, the mother that raised me, holy crap. Pat Albin was, <laughs> she was a badass, man. She taught me how to do everything. She taught me how to cook, how to sew, how to clean properly, how to, how to do the laundry. I mean, just everything. Uh, it, you know, it's funny because when I was a kid, I was an entrepreneur. Uh, I, had a, I had a paper route, so I used to deliver papers. And, you know, that's, you run your own business when you're a paper route, a paper boy. Uh, uh, and then I worked across the street from a golf course. I lived across the street from a golf course. And the thing I learned about golfers is they suck. So I would go over there, I'd ride my bike, right? And I'd find golf balls on the outside of the fence around the golf course. They were everywhere. I'd take them back home. I'd clean them up. I'd go back to the golf course and the boxes, the balls would come in that they'd sell them. They'd throw them away. Well, I'd take them and take all the balls that I found and I'd, line, I'd clean them and line them up. Titleist, Maxfly, Royal, Dunlop, right? And then I went back into the parking lot and sold them back to the golfers. <laughs> golfers loved it some of them loved me some of them hated me the entrepreneurs loved me right but here's where mom came in mom grew beautiful flowers she'd grow anything she was a product of other depression she knew how to grow food right so flowers were really important for the pollination around you know around the their their garden and so mom would she had big nice big backyard where she grew all these flowers and so she would cut them and arrange them and she had an eye for color. They were gorgeous. And then she would cut the flower, Angus, at an angle, right? Not at the bottom, but at an angle. And I said, Mom, why do you do that? And she goes, because more water will get into the flower. Okay. So then she put them in, put a rubber band or a twist tie around them. And then she put them in a bucket, send me outside with like 10, you know, arrangements. And um, she would put a little bit of seven up into the water. Why did she do that? Because that seven up, that sugar would get into that flower and it would outlast the florist two to one. You literally buy your flowers from a kid on the street whose flowers would outlast any florist two to one. There you go. So, right. So there, you know, there I was, but that's mom. My mom taught me how to date. Oh yeah. She told me what to do, what not to do. She told me the setup. 
She said, do you realize that that girl has spent all day thinking about you and that date? She's, she's got her special dress. She's been with her mom probably and getting her hair done and doing their makeup and working for hours just so that that first glimpse of her when I showed up, she goes, look, let me tell you how to handle that. And so she said, number one, you need to be five minutes early. Minimum. I prefer 10, but don't go to the door until, you know, it's almost time. But be five minutes early. Why? Because you're that girl you're dating is looking out that window watching for you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? All right, mom. If you say so. She said, by the way, when you go up to that door, you knock on the door. You don't ever ring the doorbell. And you knock like this. Okay. She goes, there's a reason. Just trust me. And whoever answers the door, mom or dad, you put your hand out, you introduce you are, who you are, and that you're there to pick up their daughter. And when you shake their hand, grip their hand. I don't mean try to hurt it, but grip it. If they grip yours hard, you grip it hard. And then you thank them for allowing them to go out with their daughter. And then you turn to which one's there and you say, what time would you like me to have your daughter home? We'd like her at home at 1030. I'll have her here and bring her back early. Don't bring her back at 1035 because the parents are watching. They're watching everything you do, pal. <laughs> Young man, as my mom would say, right? And when you get in the car, you tell her she smells good. She looks great. And somewhere in the night, tell her, compliment her shoes. What? Trust me. Tell her you like her shoes. And when you're all done with the day, and you walk her back to the door that night. Don't you even think about kissing her. Don't do it. If you want to go out with her again, you tell her that you had an incredible time. You shake her hand and that you would love the opportunity to take her out on another date. If you don't want to take her out on a date, don't say that to her. Just tell her that you had a really wonderful time and, and thank you. That's it. And she's, and then when you go on the second date, watch what happens. <laughs> the parents are going to love you. Hey, Dave, come on in. You know what I mean? They loved it. First, how often, how many, you know, how many times do we get to make a first impression? One, right? And she said, and by the way, on the second date, don't kiss her then either. And she said, and by the time you get to the third date, you're not going to have a choice in the matter. <laughs> oh, dear. Right? Come on. I'm going to have my uh, grandson listen to the last 10 minutes of this. <laughs> this is great. I, I mean, you can listen to the whole thing, but this is really important. Okay. I don't want to be a clock watcher, but I'm going to be a clock watcher. However, yeah. that said, before I close, I we just got light with the, the date stuff, but uh, we, we have had some serious discussion here. Um, can I ask you a personal question on a slightly sure, lighter note? Yeah, absolutely. What's with Elf on the Shelf? What's with Elf on the Shelf? Well, it started, I don't know, years ago, and um, I started doing funny things with it. And the next thing I know, all my friends and family are like, they're, you know, they're, they're either yelling at me about it, or they're loving it. And, you know, I'm, and they're starting to send me stuff. And so yeah, so I've been at it now for a while. And it's, it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous how many people love and wait. I mean, I get compliments. I get stuff like all the time. Oh, it's not Christmas. Christmas doesn't really start until Thanksgiving, until Dave starts with all his elf on a shelf nonsense. So, yeah, it's uh, fun. 
I had a good time looking through some of your elf on the shelf and uh, I couldn't quite decide if you had done most of them or whether people send them, but uh, they were pretty good. Yeah, they're, they're cute. <laughs> okay, where do we find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, just go to our website. It's um, www.firewalkadventures.com. And once you get there, everything's there. Somebody wants to look at the academy, you know, and come learn how to be a, a corporate team building extraordinaire. They can do that. I don't have anything up with Operation Do No Harm. Again, we have to build the 501c3. Then once we have that, so people that want to hire or, or get, get involved with that, they can make their donations and, and get the tax write-off. So once we have that in place, my girl... Uh, we'll uh, build out the website part of that so people can come and take a peek at that as well. By the way, we did, I, I will, if I can plug this, we did schedule our first firewalk specifically for veterans. It's going to be April 13th. It's going to be in Modesto, California. So we're really excited about the Rotary Club there in Modesto and my buddy Ed, who's the president, and uh, he's uh, he's sponsoring it. He's bringing us out. And so we're really excited. And we've, we've been inviting some corporate people to that as well. And you do keynotes as well too, don't you? I do. But I typically don't do a keynote unless, you know, at least I can take you through some experience. I'm going to challenge you. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's what I'm going to do. I know how it works. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Website link is in the show notes. You've got some social links and I'll put all the links on your page at our website. Yeah. Yeah. The, my, uh, my social media uh, links are on my website as well. So you can find everything there, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And that's where I cut it off. I don't do uh, TikTok. I don't do, um, uh, you know, what's the other one? Um, whatever it is. I don't do that one either. <laughs> I do LinkedIn, Facebook, and, 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 and Instagram. And that's more than I can handle at this point. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. So yeah. listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, you must have thoughts on today's show. Please talk to us. This guest has to inspire thoughts, emotions, even doubt in everyone. Leave comments where you're listening. Or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Or what question did I not ask Dave? Ask it in the comments and I'll get you an answer. Yes, she, yes, she will. <laughs> As usual, leave stars and reviews where, they, where you can. They help us grow. Share this episode. I was pretty incredulous when Dave contacted me. However, I've loved talking with him and can't imagine his story, this whole concept wouldn't fascinate your family and friends so share away dave albin thank you so much for being my guest today thank and you. being so open um about your experiences and fascinating us with what you do <laughs> my pleasure have a great rest of the week